Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 16 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we try to remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. So let's always try our best to be everyday Christians rather than just once or twice a week. Uh, this is a podcast on the Scattered Abroad Network of Podcasts. Go ahead and go over to uh, scatteredabroad.org and check out all the various podcasts that we have available each day of the week. Uh, or you can also find us on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, various other podcast platforms. Check out all the various podcasts that we have uh, at Scattered Abroad Network. We're thankful for the elders at East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee, for overseeing this good work. We really appreciate that. We also want to uh, give a shout out to our supporters, uh, those both congregations and individuals who support financially uh, this network so that we can uh, forward the equipment and uh, the the hosting of these podcasts and et cetera, just the various things that go into uh, running a podcast network. We greatly, greatly appreciate uh, our supporters. We have Gage Coldwater with us again this week. He is from Wewoka, Oklahoma, and uh, we, last week we talked about uh, the landmine to look out for, which is materialism slash covetousness, and we're going to talk about something very similar this week, which is the love of money uh, that you can read about in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, Gage, this is going to, in a lot of ways, be very similar to our episode the last couple of weeks on materialism. In what ways are materialism and the love of money, uh, I guess, the same? Well, nearly in every way. Um, generally, you know, when you speak of the love of money, of course, you know, it's all within the wording there, right? You are loving money and materialism is the loving of things. Um, and money, of course, buys those things that right. we want to have so much in our life. And so we view money as a avenue as a channel uh, as a transport system if you would to getting us from where we are to where we want to be with things and so you know the love of money it is that thing that carries us into our materialism and so you, you can't separate the two hardly um they're certainly tied together in i think unchangeable ways Right. You really can't have one without the other. Um, if you want more stuff, well, in most societies, uh, virtually every society, I guess, you got to have more money uh, unless right. you're unless you're going back in time to a more uh, bartering type of system of um, of gaining goods. But even then, uh, you can still have the same concept of, well, uh, the love of those things that you're using to barter with <laughs> would also be sinful. Um, have you ever run across maybe a society that's kind of more like that in some of your mission works where it's oh, not absolutely. really money, but it's still stuff that they're bartering with? And, and it's it still comes. stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, and because what is money, right? It is just the exchange of one unit for another unit. And so whether it's money or whether it's stuff, it's still the same thing because you're still trading an item for another item. Um, you know, and, you know, we lived for instance, in Tanzania for a while. And there, you know, it wasn't uncommon for people to come and trade. You know, we had a meal there at the mission that we had built while we were there to try to help people in our area. And what we had allowed them to do is they'd come in and they would trade part of, for instance, corn that they would have milled. Well, they would trade part of that corn for the milling of the corn instead of money. And we did that 
so that people could have easier access. Most of the time, people didn't have money to have their corn milled, but they could trade a little bit of their corn, and that would then, you know, be used to feed children on the mission. Well, it's, see, it's the same thing. It's just trading one item for another item or a service. Right. Right. So, you know, but it's almost it's almost across the board in every developing or third world country bartering systems generally are are highly used right um matter of fact I'm, I'm a big fan of the bartering system actually yeah but um it works quite well but the same problems same right. problems though. well I, I was going to ask that do you think that even though it's less money based in those sorts of places um and more bartering based do you still find sometimes that there are people who struggle with, well, I got to have more of those things so I can barter yeah. more and I can, you know, gain, gain, gain more. And I, I really love it. You know, they, they sinfully love those items that they're using to barter. Is that, is that a common um, fault that you find in places like that as well? Absolutely. You know, you think about how even in like the Proverbs writer talking about the barns being full, and oh, yeah. so I'm not, you know, and then you think about the man who had to build more barns, right? right? Why well, was it for his money? It was for his goods, but yep. it's still equated to the same thing. Right. It was that item that was usable for trade. And so whether it's, you know, a grain of corn or a kernel of wheat, it's still <laughs> mix those two up there. By the way. Um, it's still <laughs> the same thing. Right. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a unit of, goods it's a it, it becomes its own currency right right and really that's what we're talking about here is this idea of a currency and currency can take all forms right right and you know you think about people have used all things as that people have used their own bodies as currency i mean yeah, there's exactly. there's hundreds of forms of currency um and really i think what he's talking about here in, in you know first timothy is this idea of currency you know this love of having the ability to buy what I want. Mm -hmm. And that's this idea of money here. Do you think there's a sense of power that goes with this? Um, and, you know, we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, the idea of security and there's nothing wrong with security per se, you know, well, you know, one of these days I want to retire and, and in order to retire, I need to have this security blanket of my investments. Well, there's nothing wrong with that as long as that doesn't become, uh, an idol in your life, as long as you're not doing that to the detriment of your giving, you know, or something like that. But um, there's nothing wrong with security, but I think of security, I think of power with money. And certainly the more money people have, the more power they tend to have, right? I mean, who is it that seems to get elected? It's the guys that have the most money, uh, whoever raises money to get elected. There's no, doubt. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not for guys. who Poor raises, who raises the most money ends up being generally speaking, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the nominee for the Republican side. and the What do they call it? A war chest, right? They, right. they, they build a war chest. Yep. And if you don't have money, I mean, you can think back to what James chapter two, where you have those that come into the assembly, um, one wearing a, a gold ring, goodly apparel. And then there comes in a man in poor raiment with vile raiment or poor man with vile raiment, right? There's this mentality that goes along with money. And right. um, it, same thing, go back to the time of David and Nathan, when, when Nathan had sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to him to tell him, thou art the man. What was the example he used? He used a poor man 
right. with this little ewe lamb. And then he had the rich man that had plenty of those, could afford plenty of them. And what does he do? He uses his power to do what? To take the poor man's lamb. And I know he was using that as a metaphor for, for David and what he did with Uriah and with Bathsheba. Right. But I think the metaphor carries, right? That that's what power is, is we think we got money and I can use it to get what I want. And, you know, I've seen people in church do this, right? In, in congregations across America and across the world, the the person with the money tries to control the show. Yeah. You know, Um, I've had people come up to me because I preached truth on marriage, divorce, remarriage, say, well, we're going to stop giving here. If you preach that again, well, what have they done? They've tried to use their money mm-hmm. as a form, a currency of power. Right. So when we're talking about power, we're talking about influence. And oftentimes, what does the influence have to do with? Well, a lot of times it has to do with their pride. You know, well, yeah, I want to be the head honcho here. And so my pride is wanting me to, you know, have influence and power and uh, my money can help me get that. It's really amazing how all of this is interrelated and, in, you know, the love of, of money in First Timothy chapter six is the root of all kinds of evil. It definitely is. Um, certainly, there are other roots maybe that aren't mentioned in that verse. There are other uh, motivations that will motivate someone to sin, but money is definitely uh, near the top of the list because it it definitely. Um, let me rephrase that: the love of money uh, definitely um, motivates a lot of folks to commit all, you know, any manner of sins. I mean, we could talk about illicit industries, mm-hmm. like um, whether we're talking about the gambling industry or we're talking about um, the, you know, the human trafficking and the drug trafficking, and uh, alcohol and all these different industries that are illicit, sinful in nature. What runs the show there? Well, it's all about the almighty dollar, man. Yeah. It's, it's the love of that almighty daughter dollar. And so, um, why do we even call it that, right? You think about that, that phrasing, right? There should be one almighty. Yes. But but it, we even use that phraseology because of we know as a culture and as people how much power it wields. We, we literally call it God. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're saying. Absolutely. Um, you think about organized crime, uh, the mafia or whatever which I'm, I'm sure behind the scenes even even today, but I think of like the 1920s and 30s when, you know, the mob was running around. Uh, what was causing that? The love of money. The love of money. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and, and you know, of course you had brothels and you had um, bars and, and drug trafficking and all kinds of things that were being run uh, by those folks during those times. Uh, and of course, it was during prohibition, and so they had illicit, uh, and not only illicit but illegal, uh, alcohol facilities that they were running as well. Why were they doing that? Because it made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so, well, I think what we do is we often convince ourselves that money isn't going to affect us any, and we we use excuses. You know, I got man's got to have money. Of course, he's got to have money. Everybody knows that. Right. You know, well, man's got to make man's got to make a living. Well, I know that. Um, well, he's got to be able to afford things for his kids. Well, that's that's right. The necessary things. And I, I heard, I, I believe it was, and I may be misquoting here, 
who it was, but I believe it was Dan Winkler. And he, you know, he said, money is necessary, but when we trust in it rather than God, we have sold out. And I think that's the key, right? When you're looking at this, how do I differentiate between it being about money or whatever it is when I trust in it rather than God, when I put it as the almighty rather than God, the almighty, I've sold out. And I love that phraseology that I, I have sold myself right into slavery. And that's really what we're doing. We, we, we become slaves to something. Right. What about somebody who reacts to obviously the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, but they react to that in an extreme way, the other direction. And uh, maybe they become a monk <laughs> and they say, well, I'm totally against money altogether. How do you enter somebody who's thinking along those lines? Well, I, we never find that in scripture. We never find somebody being told to, you know, disavow it. Yeah. You, matter of fact, you look at Paul, right? I think one of the greatest examples of this is Paul. If anybody could have done that, it would have been Paul. Yeah. But everywhere he went, he worked. Why? Well, you go back to Acts chapter 20. Now, I love this in Acts chapter 20. And it's, it's, a, it's a passage that most of us, we know maybe one verse out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 32. Right. Um, when he's talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus, and he says, and now, brethren, I commend you to God, and the word of his power, which or word of his grace, which is able to build you up, giving you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Now, what does he say? He said, I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel, you yourselves know how that these hands, talking about his own hands, have ministered, here we go, to my necessities and to them that were with me. What? Right. Why did he work? Well, he worked so he can make money. What can he do with the money? Well, he could take care of his own needs and he could take care of the needs of others. Listen, right. if you're being a hermit, you can't take care of other people. Right. You're not taking care of other people. You're taking care of yourself. Yep. And I think being a monk is about the most selfish thing. People say, well, it's so selfless. No, it's not. It's selfish. It's yeah. completely removing yourself from a situation where you never have to deal with life. You never have to deal with trouble. You never have to deal with problems. You, It's selfishness. Yeah. You know, true selflessness makes it where I'm helping others and focused on them rather than focusing on self. Right. Um, that's, that is genuinely what Jesus called us to do. Um, people say, well, Jesus, see, he, you know, he didn't have a job. Yeah. Cause he can make f- a fish burp up a coin, right? You know, he, he didn't, he, he didn't need a job, right? you know, I mean, and there was a, well, he was a carpenter. I know his father was a carpenter, but beyond that, we don't know much more about what he did financially, right. but we do know that he was in control of everything. And if, if he, if he, if a man can go 40 days without eating, I'm going to tell you, he's not worried about money. And so, you know, I think that that kind of differentiates, right? That word necessities though. Right. Paul says these hands have ministered to my necessities and to those that were with me. And he wanted to take care of people. You can't do that as a monk. You can't do that hiding and separating yourself entirely from the world. Matter of fact, Paul said in first Corinthians chapter six, if you want to escape the problems of this world or chapter five, excuse me, um, said you're literally going to have to go to outer space um right. verse 10 first first corinthians 5 verse 10 says yet not all together with fornicators of this world or with the covetous so if you're going to separate yourself from the covetous 
or the extortioners or the idolaters, then you must needs go out of this world. It's an impossibility. Yeah. Listen, are, are there going to be people that are still coaches probably in a convent or a, a monastery? Absolutely. There's yeah. Because that's the nature of people. Right. Well, there's your uh, authorization for NASA, I guess. Um, that's right, man. <laughs> Let's go to Mars. Yeah. Paul said so. Right. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you're exactly right. And that verse in Acts chapter 20, what verse did you say it was? 30? 35. 35. That really shows us, um, I think, that money is to be a tool. And we're to but be yeah. good. We're to be good stewards of it. God gives it to us. It was verse thirty-four. Sorry, verse thirty-four. Um, but if you go to thirty-five, listen to what he says. He says, "I've showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak." Yeah, it's to be a tool. Yeah, it. it, it and if, what if we could view it? You know, like we viewed a hammer. It's got a purpose, and I treat it with the same purpose that it was intended to have. Mm-hmm. You know, then that would completely change the way I used it. Right. Right. And, you know, Paul said his necessities, he didn't say, you know, his greatest desires for pleasure. Um, uh, Obviously, you know, it's fine to have, have nice things. It's fine to be able to have some of our wants, some of our desires, you know, occasionally and within reason, but uh, our life's aim should not be, that red Corvette that I've always wanted, you know, that is the ultimate aim of life. And there's nothing wrong even with, you know, if you have the ability buying a red Corvette, <laughs> but it shouldn't be our aim of life. Um, that should not be what consumes our thoughts. Uh, it's buying whatever item uh, it is, whether it's a vehicle, whether it's a house, whether it's uh, whatever. Um, our aim should not be buying things for our own pleasure rather than using our money as a tool and being got being good stewards of it. Yeah. You know, I, for years I did mission work and as a missionary, you're always fundraising. You're always fundraising. (laughs) It never ceases. And in fundraising, you're always encountering people that can help fund your work. And, you know, we often talk about how terrible money is and what terrible things it does to people. But I've seen the opposite as well. You know, God gave us money so we could do great things. Sure. Yep. And, you know, for instance, one man, he did very well financially for years with a business he had. And he was able to use that money for great good. And he gave me enough money one time to build an entire preaching school in Africa. You think wow. about the lives that were changed because he used his money in a way that was godly and good and it didn't you know it didn't trap him as so many people are um matter of fact you know what he says there in um first timothy chapter six you know how you know in verse i think it's verse nine but they that be rich fall into temptation and a snare right right? they get trapped by it Mm -hmm. um and that's what money tends to do it can become something that becomes obsessional um, it gets a grip on us and won't let go. Right. Right. And so, but some people I've known great, great people who are very wealthy that did the opposite of that. Absolutely. Um, and used it to the glory of God. Um, one time I heard a sermon illustration. I think it was from Kyle, Butt, and he was talking about 
that concept of it can be so easy, especially the more you have to become ensnared with those riches. And um, anyways, Kyle Butt was, was making an illustration and he says, let's say that there's a man that makes a hundred dollars a week. And of that, he gives, uh, you know, about 10 of it back to God. And then he gets a raise and he makes a thousand dollars a week. And he says, Oh, wow. I'm going to give more to God. I'm going to give a hundred dollars to God. And then he gets another huge raise and he makes $10,000 a week. But then he says, there's no way I'm giving a thousand dollars to God. That's just too much. He, he doesn't need that much. I'm not doing that. And so the folly of that illustration is that this guy is making 9,000 extra dollars a week when he gets, when he goes from 1000 to 10,000 but he cannot find it in himself whatsoever to give 1000 to God. Would he like to go, go back to making a hundred dollars a week? Yeah. Because here's the deal. Um, even though he's giving way more to God in that scenario, if he, if he went ahead and, and did it rather than, than having the attitude that he had, um, if, if he's giving more, without saying, you know what, there's no way I'm giving that much to God. He still has way, way, way more than he had before. But somehow he has this mindset of, well, now that I've got all this, I want to hold on to it. And I think it can be very, very easy. The more that we have, the more tight we get with it. We don't want to let loose of it. Absolutely. Now, that's what it says, right? That it, it gets a grip on us. It traps us. But right. it, he also says there in First Timothy chapter 6 that it drowns men in, in destruction and perdition. They, yep. the, and and I, in my mind, maybe I have a vivid imagination. I don't know. But I kind of picture this guy that, uh, do you remember, um, what was it, DuckTales, the TV show mm-hmm. for little kids? And right. they had the rich uncle. That right. would, he had this silo full of money and he would run and dive and swim through his money. And, <laughs> and I just kind of have this picture in my mind of this rich person and they're completely over their head with money. Yep. They're unhappy and they're drowning in it. Absolutely. And, and it's to their own destruction. And yet they think they got to fill the barn. more. Yep. And uh, Jesus would say, thou fool, uh, this very night, your soul is going to be required of you. Uh, right. borrowing from that you know the the story of the the rich fool um have you i don't know if this is really the case I, i've heard it kind of colloquially but um i've heard it said that waiters and waitresses don't like when the rich folks come because they're the worst tippers that there are i don't know if that's true or not but uh, i've heard people either. say that before I have heard people say that before, and it makes me think that it very well could be the case. But the point is, and that's that's painting with a broad brush, and certainly it's not going to be the case with everybody who has a lot of this world's you know wealth. But I'm, I'm sure it is the case with some, at least, that, yeah, they've got a lot, and they're not willing to turn loose of it. And so they, they don't tip very much. Um, and that's just a – that's just, just an illustration of – man's dealings with other men but we could also talk about from malachi what about when someone robs god 
right as well and um so i you know it, it can become a problem we can we can love our money so much that we hang on to it at all cost and and we don't we're not uh we become stingy with it i guess well we do and that's that's i think that is the danger of financial gain is that it it puts such a hold on us that we think that it's you know it's kind of like the little boy um preacher went to do a gospel meeting and he gets to this house and he stays the night and he wakes up that morning he smells bacon and biscuits cooking and he gets up and he goes down the stairs this little boy rushes past him and he runs into the kitchen and he licks his fingers and touches all the biscuits on the tray and he says mine 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 right and the next day it happens again. Finally, the third day, the preacher says, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this little boy. And he goes downstairs. The little boy does it. And the preacher does it back. He t- licks his fingers and he touches all the biscuits and says, yours, 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 yours. And we kind of get this mine, mine, mine mentality, right? right? That it's it's all mine. And I just have to get more and I have to get more and I have to get more. And it stimulates lust. And it stimulates lust in a lot of areas, but it's a sinful desire uh, that and I've been fortunate in the last few years to be more financially taken care of. And one thing I've, I've learned and I've always heard it, you know, money makes, it takes money to make money mm-hmm. and money makes money. And so there's this idea that I can spend more and I can get more and I can spend more and I can get more and I can spend more and I can get more. And it just repeats. And it's true. There, there there's no doubt that this is a, a true concept because what it does is it stimulates my lust and desire to have more. Well, uh, you know, I made a hundred thousand this year. Well, I can make 200 next year. Right. And if I can make 200 next year, I can make 400 the next year. Yep. And, and I know that that is out there because I've experienced, I know that you can become engulfed in those things um, and stimulated by it. It, it drives you to want to do, to do more. Yeah, and I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of a proverb, and maybe you can help me find this. Um, but I I want to say there's a proverb that talks about, and I'm I'm having to badly paraphrase this, so we may not be able to find it. But I'm going to try to to Google it. But um, basically, it says that I help me to not be uh, poor and also not to be rich, but somewhere in the middle so that I can have this proper focus. Do you know what I'm trying to think of? Yes. Um, trying to remember where that's at. Uh, it's either, I think it's giving either poverty nor riches. Is what it yeah, it's Proverbs, is Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9, I think. I was going to say, I think it's Proverbs 30, 30 verses. Would you mind reading uh, Proverbs 30 yeah. verses 7 through 9 for us? Right. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and take the name of my God in vain. So what are the what are the two um, the two extremes there in in susceptibilities there of you know you've got the extremely poor you've got the extremely wealthy what are two susceptibilities there on both 
extremes of the spectrum that can cause somebody, if they're not very careful, to take their eyes off of God. Well, I mean, it makes it pretty clear, right? Because if I'm if I'm full wealthy, then I'm gonna question and say, who is God? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does he what does he have before me? Um, I think First Samuel chapter two says the Lord sends poverty and wealth. Right. Um, so you know, we need to recognize that you know everything we have comes from God. But when we become wealthy, what do we often do? We say, I I got it. Mm-hmm. Um then of course the other side of that is that of theft, right? I'm so poor that I've got to steal, which is still wrong. Yeah. And you know, while we might even pity the person that's in that situation and say, well, that's terrible that they're in that situation. It's still wrong. And, you know, people will do all manner of things when they become desperate. And and what he says is strive to not be, either of those things strive to be in the middle right. of those two. And he says, you know, let me die this way. Right. Uh, between the two. I want to, I want to be between the two Remove from me vanity and lies and give me neither poverty nor riches. I want to be between the two things there. Right. All right. We're going to go ahead and pause the episode right here for this week. Lord willing next week, Gage Coldwater will be back with us one more time as we wrap up this discussion on the love of money. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, And please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.